Welcome to Scientific American's Science Talk, posted on March 20th, 2015. I'm Steve Mursky. On this episode... These forests are enriched in uh, useful species, like tree fruits and, and palms, and we want to see if this is a legacy of past human modification. That's Jose Iriarte. He's an archaeologist at the University of Exeter in the UK, and he's involved in a project to understand human activity in and influence on the Amazon region, going back some 13,000 years. He gave a talk about the subject in February at the annual meeting of the American Association for the Advancement of Science in San Jose, after which frequent 60-second science podcast contributor Cynthia Graber talked to him about his work. You'll hear Iriarte mention LIDAR. The word comes from the combination of light and radar and refers to a remote sensing technology. You shine a laser onto a target and then use the light reflected back to create an image and measure distance. So that's LIDAR, and here are Cynthia Graber and Jose Iriarte. Your research is looking at the issue of human influence in the Amazon. So what's the question there that scientists are trying to understand? The main general questions that uh, we, are, we are trying to, to understand that uh, today is a very controversial topic in, in archaeology, paleoecology, and conservation is, uh, was the Amazon an pristine, primeval, untouched forest uh, that was inhabited by a small bands of hunter-gatherers or shifting horticulturalists that have a minimal, negligible impact on the environment, or was, on the other hand, Amazonia inhabited by large, numerous, complex, and, and even hierarchical societies that uh, completely transform uh, the environment. This is obviously the big overall questions. Obviously, Amazonia has been populating for the last 13,000 years, and Amazonia is a large place, larger than Europe. So now when we try to understand the nature and scale of past human impact on Amazonia, we need to go to the different regions of Amazonia that have different type of, of, of vegetation, for example, to answer these questions. So I read 1491 by Charles Mann, and I was kind of blown away by, by that side of research in the book. And it seemed to me after I read the book, I had this understanding that, that there was a huge human impact and that the Amazon actually is very highly manipulated. But, but you're saying that we don't quite understand what the level of human manipulation is. Yes, exactly. I think uh, well, the book of Charles Mann was, was incredibly in uh, opening our eyes to the human manipulation on past environment and put into question the, the long-held traditional paradigm of the noble savages passively adapting uh, to the environment. Now, I guess uh, we need to move forward and start studying this past human impact in different regions of the Amazon. What we are doing with this project that is funded by the European uh, Research Council is an international interdisciplinary project that integrates different disciplines. It integrates archaeology, paleoecology, botany, remote sensing, and soil science because it's only combining the social or uh, um, humanities with the natural sciences that we are going to have a, like a full understanding of the origins of, of these landscapes. Uh, in the past, and I'm talking on, in general terms, um, we have on the one side most of uh, my colleagues, the paleoecologists, working just on vegetation history, not paying too much attention of the past human impact on the environment, especially since Amazonia was uh, peopled or, or colonized 
at least 13,000 years ago. On the other hand, we have many of my colleagues, the archaeologists, not paying too much attention to how were the landscapes before. So what we are trying to do now is to, just to give you an example of some of the techniques that have been uh, more productive, is just looking at the archaeological sites with the classical archaeological techniques and looking nearby for bogs or lakes when we can extract a sediment core and, and, and from there uh, analyze the, the pollen, the charcoal, and try to reconstruct the vegetation and fire history. By comparing the cultural sequence from the archaeological sites with the paleoecological sequence from, from the lakes or bogs, we can explore uh, human environmental interactions. You just said that it's larger than Europe. So how are you trying to get this big picture sense of how extensive human manipulation of the environment was and these kind of hierarchical societies? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm very lucky to be collaborating with uh, uh, the Dr. Denise Shan from uh, Federal University of, uh, of the state of Pará, who has different projects uh, along the Amazon. So our idea is to uh, tackle four regions in the Amazon. The lower Amazon that is known for this Amazonian dark earth that is arguably the most conspicuous signature of human manipulation and transformation of the environment. After that, uh, we are going to go to the middle Amazon in the interflux of the uh, middle uh, Purus and Madeira rivers, where the work of Charles Clement Group at the IMPA, the Brazilian National Institute of Amazonian Research, has shown that these forests are enriched in uh, useful species like tree fruits and, and palms. And we want to see if this, is a le- if this is a legacy of past human modification. Then we are going to go to southwestern Amazonia, where we have uh, the uh, seasonal forest. It has a very long dry season, that is four months, where we have the uh, recently there has been discovered more than uh, 450 geoglyphs in this area that were supposed to be like a pristine area with terra firme evergreen forest. And then we are going to go to the seasonally flooded savannas of the uh, Bolivian Amazon in the Llanos de Mojos. In this way, obviously, the Amazon is huge and we are not going to be able to cover all of it, but in this way, we are covering four regions with different vegetation and different past land use uh, in pre-Columbian times. You mentioned this dark earth, which I find really interesting. How is that a, a very clear signature of human intervention? Well, most of the soils in Amazonia and, uh, the, uh, are uh, the typical red leached soils that are uh, un- completely unfertile. Starting mainly around 3,000 years uh, before the present, the, the pre-Columbian groups that, uh, that live in, in, in Amazonia start to, to settle down along the major rivers and just Basically, by the accumulation of trash, the accumulation of garbage, these soils become much more enriched. And still today, these soils are, are completely fertile are, and are in big contrast with the typical interfluvial leached uh, soils. Do you use any drone work or airplane flights or any type of LIDAR to get kind of a big picture sense? Is there any way to do something like that in a region like the Amazon? Or do you really need to be kind of deep on the ground doing these Mm -hmm. soil samples you're talking about? Well, we are doing both. But one of the innovative aspects of this project is to uh, put together a UAB, unmanned aerial vehicle, that has a a LADAR sensor that is basically to mount a cloud scanner on top of, of, these, 
on, of this drone and uh, spectral uh, cameras. The advantage of, of this uh, UAB with a LiDAR mountain on it is that by flying this UAB uh, above the forest, we can do uh, a topography of the canopy, but also we can look at the ground. The specialist of the project, that is uh, Dr. Salman Khan, uh, is the remote sensing specialist, is able to uh, perform a, uh, vegetation removal algorithms that allow us to see only the laser beams that go to the ground and just make a fine topography of, of the ground. This is going to, is already revolutionizing uh, Maya archaeology. Obviously, it's going to revolutionize uh, Amazonian archaeology. To give you an idea, to look at uh, some of the geoglyphs that I've been presenting and to make a complete topography of them in the forest may take months with a team of at least 10 to 20 people just making transects and, and cutting trackways in the middle of the forest. This now with, uh, with LiDAR technology can be mapped in, in, in a morning just flying the plane over it. There are large tracks of Amazonia that are completely unknown. So this LiDAR technology really is going to reveal what is below the, the forest. These geoglyphs, can you describe them? What are they? The geoglyphs are, uh, the so-called geoglyphs are geometrically patterned earthworks. These are, uh, these are massive uh, earthworks, monumental constructions that can be up to 300, 500 meters long, 100, 200 meters in wide, and the, the, the ditches of the geoglyphs can be up to 5 meters uh, deep. And so far, uh, my colleague, Dr. Denise Shan, who has been uh, working on Acre State, thinks that uh, most of them uh, we are, these are early stages. There are 450 geoglyphs, uh, geoglyphs and they just uh, started. But uh, she thinks that these, uh, they, are, they are ceremonial centers because so far no midden refuse areas where people that live in a, in a village uh, dump all the, all the trash has been discovered at the, at the sites. What stage of the research is this project in to kind of quantify the human influence and impact on the Amazon? What, when did it start and where, how is this project going? Well, the project, we are just announcing the project. At the moment, the project just started. It's a project that is, uh, it is, is going to take uh, four years. And yeah, we really would like to quantify it, at least in certain regions of the Amazon, the past human impact. How are we going to do that? is we are going to uh, dig the archaeological sites and also make uh, vegetation inventories, see the vegetation that, that is growing in archaeological sites and outside of archaeological sites. The idea is that once we have the vegetation inventories of, of the forest that is growing on archaeological sites, the idea is that through the particular composition of the forest and also through the particular topography of the canopy, the structure of the forest and the remote sensing, the spectral signature, we are going to try to identify what is the signature of these uh, forests that have been impacted by humans in the past. Because the remote sensors that are on, mounted on the LiDAR are the same ones than the uh, Landsat and Morris uh, rem uh, satellites that cover whole Amazonia, our idea is to try to extrapolate the signature that we get from our well-studied small plots to entire regions in the Amazon. 
what impact could this have? Who is this important for? You know, who who needs to understand this, and what what's the import for the future? I think it's it's, it's important. Uh, uh, so far, I think in in general terms, we can say that uh, the human impact on Amazonian forests have been uh, in in some way neglected from most uh, conservation issues. It is very important uh, to know, we don't know yet, I'm not going to say that all these forests have been completely transformed uh, by humans, but it's in important to know the, the human footprints in the forest because it is, it's very important for conservation issues. Maybe the very biodiversity that we want to preserve is not only the result of millions of years of evolution, something that my ecology colleagues have studied in detail, but also are in part the result of human manipulation on the environment. And then, for example, when we create national parks, we need to take into account uh, what is the baseline that we want to uh, get back. We want to get to a so-called pristine forest or do we want to get to uh, pre-Columbian towns? And this is something that uh, we need to have a discussion about that. And that's why I'm collaborating with uh, two major Brazilian institutions, that is the Brazilian National Institute of Amazonian Research, IMPA, and the Brazilian National Institute of Space Research, to discuss with my colleagues and convey our results to inform the, the conservation community. Could it also have an impact, when we're talking about conservation, on the idea of human use of the Amazon? Could it show that there can be sustainable human use and, and manipulation and kind of interaction with the Amazon um, and that the forest is actually quite resilient in that way? Yes. Uh, the one thing we don't want to, to do is obviously give a green flag to developers, saying, well, in the past the forest was uh, manipulated, now we can do whatever we want with the Amazon because they have been manipulating it for the 13,000 years. I think there is a, a huge difference in scale on pre-Columbian land use and modern industrial agriculture. And in addition, I think that uh, most of the people, when they think that people have been manipulating the Amazon in the past, think of big fires and think of deforestation. This is not necessarily the, the way that pre-Columbian people have been managing the Amazonian forest. It may well be that they are enriching uh, the forest and, and keeping the forest, not deforesting it. Cynthia Graber speaking with the University of Exeter's Jose Iriarte. You can catch more of Cynthia on our 60 Second Science podcast, as well as on her podcast called Gastropod, which is all about the science and history of food. Just go to gastropod.com. Some other items of interest. We recently ran an episode about a new TV series called Science Goes to the Movies. A new episode airs tonight on CUNY TV here in New York. But it'll also be available worldwide at CUNY.TV. They're going to talk about the imitation game. You'd expect that movie about Alan Turing to be on a show about science and movies. But they're also going to discuss the Sondheim musical movie, Into the Woods. The science there, according to the website, is the, quote, way in which Sondheim's complex music works with natural pattern recognition and meaning-making in the human brain, the neurology of rhymes, and the often musically induced phenomenon of involuntary memory. So look for that episode of Science Goes to the Movies at CUNY.TV. And uh, a few nights ago, I stumbled onto a documentary on a local PBS station titled Julia Robinson and Hilbert's Tenth Problem. It's about the life and work of mathematician Julia Robinson. She was a MacArthur Fellow, the first woman elected to the mathematical section of the National Academy of Sciences, 
and the first woman president of the American Mathematical Society. In fact, when she was elected to the NAS, according to the documentary, she did not have a faculty position because of outdated nepotism rules at UC Berkeley, where her husband Raphael Robinson was a professor, and because of the way women in academia were often treated. But no surprise, the college scrambled like hell to get her a faculty position once she was about to enter the National Academy. Anyway, it's a fascinating story, both about her and the math she did. It's not a PBS production, so it's not up on their website, but keep an eye out for it as it's apparently shown on occasion on local PBS stations. And check out the website for the film, which includes a trailer and a way to order it. Just Google Julia Robinson and Hilbert's Tenth Problem. And while you're perusing the web, get your science news at our website, www.scientificamerican.com, where you can check out our section on citizen science. These are real scientific research efforts that need your help to gather or analyze data, sometimes even in a game format, so you can contribute and have fun at the same time. And follow us on Twitter, where you get a tweet whenever a new item hits the website. Our Twitter name is at Siam. For Scientific American Science Talk, I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us. 